So tonight, let's ask, what are the rules? Understanding the rules of Revelation. I just, I wonder, maybe don't raise your hand, but I wonder how many of you have been frustrated because you expected Revelation when it didn't come. Or it came when you didn't expect it. And sometimes we, we, we don't fully understand what the rules are and we get really re- frustrated. So a better understanding of the rules and why does he speak in certain circumstances and why does he not speak in certain circumstances is vital to understand because some of you are in one situation and are expecting the revelation that's appropriate for a different situation and vice versa. So what are the rules? Now, when the Lord Coming out of the apostasy, you can imagine the Lord had a challenge because we have a church that doesn't really understand Revelation. Coming out of the apostasy, how many people understood Revelation? So he's got to do a lot of coaching. Early part of the Doctrine and Covenants, the Book of Mormon, you're going to find a lot of little gems where the Lord is saying, let me teach you about Revelation. One of my absolute favorites is the journey of the Jaredites to America. They're going somewhere where no one has ever been. They can't ask for help. And the Lord clearly has a destination. So interacting with the Lord is going to be vital in this piece. So let's see. Turn with me to the book of Ether. Let's turn to Ether. And I want to talk about there are several phases of this trip. They are starting in Babel, the Tower of Babel. That's where the Jaredites live. Their first leg, they're going to go to Babel to the Valley of Nimrod. That'll be leg number one. Then they go further out and they end up at the beach at the edge of the sea. And they sit there for four years, but they know that's not the destination. The destination is the promised land. So there's their journey from Babel to Nimrod to the edge of the sea to the promised land. So let's do this leg. Go to Ether chapter one. Now tell me about this leg. Now we're gonna make some assumptions here. We don't have all the information, so we're gonna make some assumption. The fact that it's called the Valley of Nimrod, and Nimrod's name comes up a great deal in the Old Testament. Uh, Nimrod was a famous hunter. So the Valley of Nimrod must have been a well-known place. So we're going to make an assumption that the journey from Babel to Nimrod was well established. It was a clear road. It was well driven. And I think they've probably been on this road many times. So tell me what you expect. What's the rule of revelation going from a place where they know to a place where they know on a road they've probably been many times? What will you expect the rule of Revelation to be here? So turn to Book of Mormon. Anyone want to venture? What would you guess? What kind of rule of Revelation will you expect? What what do you expect the response from the Lord to be on that journey? Sorry, we're going to do it this way. We'll switch it up. Okay, Book of Mormon, Ether 1. All right, let's jump to, not 15, Ether 1. Let's jump to verse 42. 
I'm going to let you read it and digest it and tell me what's the Lord doing here. Put yourself in that situation. How is he guiding them and why? Anyone see anything? Tell me what you see. They're in Babel. The instructions are go to the valley of Nimrod. And the Lord says, Amanda, what do you see? I was going to say that he doesn't, it's not implied that he travels with them yeah. the whole way. He meets them to the destination. In fact, it's, impl- it's implied that he doesn't go with them. In other words, I'm not going with you. I will meet you there. Tell me why. That's an odd way for the Lord to, to handle it. I'm not going to go on your journey. Have you had moments in your life where the Lord says, you are on your own? This moment is all you. Are there and should there be moments in my life where the Lord backs up and says, this is all you? Why? Why would the Lord choose that mode for this leg of the journey? Any thoughts? Okay, but why here? Because that's not going to be the case here. So why don't they use their agency here and they do here? Why is this leg of the journey the one where the Lord says, you're on your own? Okay, I think that's so important to understand. Their capabilities and the danger of the the situation. So again, we're making the assumption that what was this journey like? The fact that they're going to a known place We've heard this name in the Bible. We know Nimrod. This is probably a well-established road. Are they capable of getting there on their own? Therefore, what should the Lord do? If you can do this on your own, if you have all the tools, all the resources, all the know-how, then what's the, what's the position the Lord takes? You do it. Now, that's a hard reality for a lot of us to accept. But if you are capable, if you have the resources and the tools and the knowledge and the danger is low, quite often, what does the Lord do? This is on you. How many decisions have you wanted him to make that you were capable of making? You had all the tools, all the knowledge, but you wanted him to choose for you. Do you see how it's a violation of the rules in those moments? Do not expect Heavenly Father to do for you what you can do for yourself. That would be a violation of agency. And as long as the danger is low and your capability matches it, he simply lets you go. Do not expect heavy revelation in these moments. Expect him to act for yourself. Let me kind of a case in point. Do you remember when Jesus went to raise Lazarus? There's a stone in front of the grave. Now, what can't any of them do? Raise the dead. What can they do? Move the stone. So what does Jesus say? Move the stone. Now, he's about to raise the dead. Could he have moved the stone? You know, Yoda out of the Dagobah swamp. He could have moved that stone. He could have obliterated the stone. He could have had Lazarus walk through the stone. 
So why did he ask them to move the stone instead of doing it himself? What's the rule of Revelation? Do not expect heaven to do for you what you can do for yourself. That would be an infringement of your agency. So ponder, how many times have you been frustrated that God didn't do what you were able to do? Don't be. Rule number one, do not expect heaven to do for you what you can do for yourself. They're going to forget that lesson. And we're going to watch them forget. And it's going to cost them. Don't let it cost you. So leg number one, all you guys, you got this. You are capable. The danger is low. Get to Nimrod. Now contrast that with this leg. The next leg of the journey from Nimrod to the edge of the sea is very different. Go to chapter 2, Ether chapter 2. I want you to read 1 through 4 to yourself. Ether 2, 1, or sorry, 4 through 6, 4 through 6. Ether chapter 2, 4 through 6, and you see if you can pick up some clues as to what's different in the environment, what's different in the circumstance, in their capabilities, and how does God respond in that circumstance? Critical to understand the difference. You know, I'm going to switch back so I can zoom in. Tell me what you see. Anyone see it? Any make, what's, what's the connection you're making here? Tell me about the environment. Unknown. No one's ever been there, which we assume makes this leg of the journey high danger. So unlike the, unlike the, the journey from Babel to Nimrod, this is dangerous. So how does God play Revelation? How, what's his play here when danger is high? Do you see it? Do you see? Do you see the rule here? Don't expect heaven to do for you, you, you what you're capable of doing for yourself. Don't shift your responsibility onto God. But when you can't do it, I love the phrase, end of verse six. What's the phrase here? When, when danger is high and your ability to navigate doesn't match the danger of the situation, tell me what he does. continuously directed by the hand of the Lord. Now, let's, let's be clear. What were they taught how to do? You see this phrase right here? While they're going through the wilderness, they did what? Do they know how to build barges by the time they come out of this? That's going to be vital. But during the wilderness... He taught them how to build barges and he held their hand. Do you understand why? So when God is pressing, 
when revelation is pressing into you and there's a sense of urgency, what should you understand? What do you assume? Danger is high. The danger is high. And I better listen. Anyone willing to share an experience where you were in a high danger situation, he was pressing firmly and you didn't want to. You didn't want him to press firmly. You were pushing back at his constant pressing. Can I give you an example? And I can't tell you why yet. I haven't seen the end of the road yet, but I'm teaching at the University of Utah Institute and I have this music student who's fully engaged in the music program at the University of Utah. She's right in the middle. She's heavily involved, very active. And all of a sudden, the impressions start. Transfer schools. Transfer schools. Over and over and over again. Transfer schools. I don't want to. I don't want to. This makes no sense. Transfer schools. No. I'm in the middle of this program. Transfer schools. Why? That makes no sense to me. Transfer schools. Until one day, guess what she realized? Why is he pressing so much? And even though she couldn't see it, what did she realize? The danger is high. I don't know why. I still don't know why. But the danger was high. And so he pushed and pushed, continuously holding her hand. Do you see how that goes? Anyone willing to share a high danger moment where he was very, very descriptive, very proscriptive, very constantly speaking to me? My guess is those of you who went on missions went through those periods, didn't you? I gave you an example. Holden? There's a time, so I was reassigned to Atlanta for like kind of the second chunk of my mission and we were going to do some type of visitors. I don't even remember exactly why we were going to this lady's house, but it required like a 10 mile drive. And at a certain point, I just started feeling weird. My companion started feeling a little weird. And then we were with another set of elders and the elder driving the car just said, I don't know what's going on, but I need to turn around. And then instantly we were all like, yeah, I feel that too. Yeah, I feel that too. Yeah, I feel that too. There you go. We have no idea what was there, but it was like a very like, couldn't question. There's a great example. Danger high. And he spoke to every one of you. I remember one time um, I went to Mexico City on my mission, which is a fantastic place. I don't want to scare anyone if you go to Mexico City. I loved my mission. <clears throat> but one time after lunch, we were on our way to another appointment. We were kind of going through the back alleys, heavy trees, kind of a you know canopy. It was a little darker. And this guy mugs us. And he pulls out a gun and he takes my backpack, which has my scriptures in it that I had worked so hard to mark. And you know what? Hey, fine, take it. Read it. Read it. I yelled that at him as he left. Read that book. So the next day I thought, I guarantee he opened up that backpack, saw my scriptures and tossed them. And I just wanted the scriptures. So we went back to the area. 
and I'm searching for where did he dump my scriptures? So we followed through the alley and we came to this open area clearing. There was a guy selling food. We walked up to him and said, hey, yesterday at about this time, and I described him, come out of this alley, had a red backpack. Did you see him? No. Are you sure? Were you here yesterday? I don't see anything. And then he steps to the end of the table and he whistles. And loudest the spirit has ever been in my life. Run! And we did. I never looked back. And I never went back to look for my scriptures. Now, how many times in my life have I wished the day I was about to propose to my wife, can't you be that loud now? Can't you tell me? Yes, she's the one. As urgently as you told me to run, and the answer is, Totally different situation. Do you see why? Okay, I am capable of choosing my spouse. But I had no idea how my life was threatened in that moment. And so he said, run. Do you see the difference? So do not ignore the pressing. You may not see the danger you're in. But he does. And he speaks very differently in those two circumstances, doesn't he? Let me give you an example, okay? Um, there's a park by our house. When my granddaughter comes to our house, she loves to go to the park. And so I used to, you know, take her a lot to the park. Now, when she was two, she's six now, but when she was two and we walked to the park, there's a very dangerous road we had to cross. Tell me what I do with my granddaughter's hand at that road. Do I just, go ahead, sweetheart. Don't want to infringe on your agency, so go ahead, get to the park. Is that an act of love? No. no. Danger's high, so what do I do? Okay. I hold that hand. Now, sometimes when she was two and I'm holding her hand tight, she would pull it back. Grandpa, why are you holding my hand tight? Do I let go because she doesn't like it? No. She doesn't like me holding my hand. Oh, okay, fine. I, I'll let go. Go ahead, take Go the rest of the way on your own because that's what you want. Do I let go? No. no way. Now, we cross the busy street and we get to the park. Do I hold her hand just as tight as we walk around the park? Let me take you to the swing, sweetie. All right, now I let go. Do I hold her hand just as tight in the park as I do at the intersection? You see, that makes sense, doesn't it? So why is it that we don't connect that with Heavenly Father? We need to. Vital rules of revelation is that he speaks very differently. Now here's the problem. Moving from one to another, we don't move from one to another. Can you see what's about to happen? They're going from a very, very dangerous, God holding their hand the whole time, and then they're going to get on the beach. Do they know that the beach is not the destination? Do they know how to build barges? Does the beach have everything they need to build the barges? Are there any wild animals on the beach? Tell me what Heavenly Father is going to do when they get to the beach. 
Tell me. We're back to this, aren't we? We're back to road to Nimrod. You have everything you need. You have all the materials. You know how to build barges. You know where we're going. And so they come out of the wilderness and he returns appropriately to the mode of revelation appropriate for that circumstance. But what's their expectation? Because they got used to him talking so quick. What happens on the beach? You all know the story. What happens on the beach? They forget. They They expect the revelation to be what? Wilderness revelation. And is beach revelation wilderness revelation? And because they're expecting him to tell them what to do and he's not, what do they do? They sit there for four years. Four years they could have been in the promised land. They sat on the beach. That's a hard lesson for Heavenly Father to teach them. And if you don't learn the same lesson, then maybe they paid the price in vain. It's a hard lesson to sit there for four years. Why are they sitting there? They're waiting for him to tell them what to do. And does the circumstance merit that level of revelation? No. And so they sit there for four years. But how many times do we fall into that trap? Don't raise your hand. But how many of us fall into that trap? How many return missionaries? Don't raise your hands, return missionaries. But how many of you got used to constant guidance in the mission field and you came home from the mission field and waited for him to talk to you just as much and he didn't? And your conclusion was what, Holden? What was your conclusion? I'm doing something wrong. I'm losing my spirituality. I'm broken. He used to talk to me so much and now he's not. I'm failing God. No! You're on the beach. Build a barge. Guess what? You're not going to find an eternal companion the way you found investigators in the mission field. You're not. Build a barge. Move. Stop waiting for him to tell you what to do. You are back to here. And just because for a moment you were here doesn't mean that's going to last forever. Katie. Katie. So get up and move. Get up and move. Now, how many times in the scriptures do we see this lesson? Let's see if we can start pulling multiple scriptures in. How many times in the scriptures do we see the lesson of build a barge and get off the beach yourself instead of sitting there waiting for the Lord to tell you what to do? Let me show you a couple. Turn with me to Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3, 
they have to cross the Jordan River and go back into the promised land. And the Lord promised, I will part the Jordan River. Leave that up to me. You guys can't do that. I will part the Jordan River. But when does the river part? So pull out your Old Testament, Joshua. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Joshua chapter 3. Tell me when does the river part? Let's start in verse 13. Do you see it here? Do you see the rule of Revelation? When does the Jordan River part? When does miraculous events happen? When does God step in and intervene in their behalf and perform the miracles? When they do what? When they step into the river. It shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the water that the waters of Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from the above. In other words, what do you have to do? You have to step in. Now you and I know the Lord well enough to how far sometimes do you have to walk in the river before he parts? Can you think of other scriptures where they didn't step in? They went as far as they could. The widow of Zarephath. When Elijah shows up, what is she doing? She's gathering sticks to do what? Make her last meal. This is as far as I can go. And that's when Elijah showed up and saved her. Jesus walks on the water in the fourth watch. Why did he wait so long? He let them go as far as they could go. Do you see the rule of revelation that we violate all the time? Step in, move. If you are looking for an eternal companion and you're waiting for Heavenly Father to bring him or her to your doorstep, you are going to wait on the beach for a long time. The moment you say to Heavenly Father, okay, I'll do everything I can. I will build a barge. I had a daughter who sat on the beach waiting for her husband to show up. And he never came. Finally, she got the message and she started doing what she needed to do. She detested internet dating. She loathed the idea of internet dating. But she realized, I've got to do all that I can. So she signed up for internet dating. And within three months, she found her husband. And all those years, she sat on the beach waiting because she was waiting for him to do what she was capable of doing. Do you see the rules coming together in practical ways in our lives? Step into the river. That's a good example. Can you think of a bad example? Can you think of someone who sat on the river, sat on the beach, waited and lost his opportunity to do something miraculous? Oliver Cowdery. Wouldn't you love to claim that you translated a portion of the Book of Mormon? I'd love to turn to this. That, that verse I translated, guys. 
Oliver was given a chance. Go ahead and translate. And he sat at the book and what did he do? He waited. What did he assume? Tell me what he assumed. What was the mistake he made? I don't need to do anything. I just sit and the Lord will translate through me. And he sat and nothing came. And then the window shut. And he never got another chance. How many words in the Book of Mormon did Oliver Cowdery translate? Not one. And what did the Lord say afterwards? You broke the rule. You broke the rule. So let me tell you, don't violate the rule. Heavenly Father asked you to teach a Sunday school lesson and you make the assumption that he'll just tell you what to say. Guess what? Wrong. If you don't expect him to do what you are capable of doing. Now, I will tell you, I have spent hours and hours studying some very difficult passages. I have studied, I have researched, I prayed, and I had to come to a podcast or come to a class where I had to teach them. And I have done everything in my power to understand them, and I can't. And in that moment, what happens? Now he shows me what they mean. Oh, that's what they mean. But I promise you, can I tell you a funny story? I first started teaching part-time for the church when I was a junior and senior in college. My senior year, I, I was married, we had a little girl. My senior year, my wife stayed home with our little girl and I went to school full-time and I worked three jobs because she stayed home with our little girl. I was a human biology, molecular biology, second major, major. I'm studying advanced human anatomy and molecular biology. And part of, one of my jobs was to teach seminary early morning. And I will be totally honest, quite often, the ideas of what to teach just flowed right into my head. I knew exactly what to teach. So I went the next morning, I taught, then I went to school, I went to my other job. Okay, so I graduate. I get a full-time job teaching seminary. You see where I'm going with this? What's my assumption? Hey, he's just going to tell me the night before what to do. And guess what? Nothing. And I flopped until I finally said, why am I flopping? You never let me flop before. And the answer was, you were in the wilderness before. You're on the beach now. You know that paid prep hour that you have? Use it. <laughs> oh, that's how revelation works. Do you see? Do you see how the rules come together now? The Lord, brilliant teacher, says, let me, let, let's cover this one more time. Let me make sure you understand this rule. And he's going to cover it one more time. understanding a brighter sound, understanding God that we pray to. And I feel like it ultimately comes down to what we see um, and just understanding that God will never give us something bad. Yeah. Whether that's waiting and we realize, oh, I need, I need to be moving and that God wouldn't just let me wait. Or that's realizing that, okay, maybe I need to continue to push through. And he compares it to um, Enos and his people and their barges versus the fourth watch of the night, right? That sometimes the Lord just hasn't come in the fourth watch, and sometimes he's not coming at all because he sent us the storm to carry us where we need to go. 
Now, if the danger had been critically high, would he have let them sit on the beach for four years? No. See how he works? There's a great lesson to be taught here, and I'm going to let you learn it. And it might be painful. Do you think Oliver Cowdery learned the lesson? Joseph Smith lost 116 pages. Do you think he ever learned that lesson? Do you think he learned that lesson and never let that happen again? Do you think if anyone had ever come to Joseph Smith after that and said, can I do this? And he said he knew it was wrong that he'd asked the Lord if it was okay to do it anyway. Do you think after that, there's the lesson, vital information, vital lesson. So let me, let me show you what the Lord does. So all you, all him, mostly you, and you forgot that. And so you sat there for four years. When they finally figured out and they start building barges, go to chapter two again, Ether chapter two. What's the problem with their barges? After they start building barges, they make the Lord instructs them. They make them tight like a dish. What's the problem with barges that are tight like a dish? Verse 18, and it came to pass that the brother of Jared cried unto the Lord, saying, O Lord, I have performed the work which thou hast commanded me, and I have made the barges according as thou hast directed me. Now behold, O Lord, in them there is no light. Whether shall we steer? And also we shall perish, for in them we cannot breathe, save it is the air which is in them. Therefore we shall perish. What two problems do they have? Light and air. Now, where do I write light and where do I write air? One of those problems was more dangerous than the other. What's the most dangerous of those two problems? Air. By far, air, right? So here is the air. If they don't solve that problem, they die. Here is the light. You see what he's doing? Brilliant teacher just keeps teaching the same lesson over and over and over again. So we got an air problem and we've got a light problem. And the Lord says, how does the Lord handle the air problem? Not only does he tell them what to do. Let's read it. And the Lord said unto the brother of Jared, behold, thou shalt make a hole in the top and the bottom make a hole in the bottom you need air make a hole in the bottom mm -hmm. and when you need air unstop the hole and receive air <laughs> now, i don't know about you but i would have seriously questioned the lord's understanding of the laws of physics you want me to solve this air problem by putting a hole in the bottom of my boat, and then when I need air, I unstop the hole. In other words, what's happening? I am getting instructions I don't understand. Why am I getting instructions I don't understand? Because the danger is high. I would have been tempted to not drill a hole in the bottom of the boat. And I would have been in trouble because why? Because the bottom of the boat is going to become the top of the boat. I didn't know that. What do you think they said as soon as it flipped over? Oh. 
What will you say if you follow the promptings of the Lord in an air situation and you don't understand why? Change majors. Or no, change schools. Transfer schools. It makes no sense. Transfer schools. No. Transfer schools. I guarantee someday what's she going to say? Oh. Now, having done that, having drilled the holes, he goes back up the mountain to get an answer for the light. Tell me what the Lord did. He comes back up and says, O Lord, thou I, behold, I have done even as thou hast commanded me, and I have prepared the vessels for my people, and behold, there is no light in them. Behold, O Lord, wilt thou suffer that we shall cross this great deep in darkness? That's an interesting phrase. What does it assume? We're going. We've learned the lesson from the beach. We're moving on. We're going. Even if it's in the dark. You see, they've learned the lesson. Do you want us to go in the dark? And the Lord says what? Does he say, go get 16 stones and molten them into uh, little balls and I'll come and touch them and then they'll glow up. Is that what the Lord says? What does the Lord say? Because they're in a light situation, what does the Lord say? What do you want me to do? I want you to tell me what to do. No. I will tell you what. What does he say? Back to Revelation, back to what we talked about. Holden, you mentioned this. I'll tell you what you can't do. You can't have windows and you can't make a fire. So you decide. Do you see why he does it that way? Is the danger as high for no light as for no air? Do you see the connection between those two? All right, let me quiz you. Um, I taught a student in seminary who was graduating from seminary, graduating from high school, and her dad was called as a mission president in Japan. So her parents are leaving for three years to Japan, and she just barely graduated from high school. Do you see her choices? go to Japan and live with my family, which I need, but probably not start my education, delay my education because I'm living in Japan and don't speak Japanese, but I'm with my family. Or start my education here and live without my family. So go to Japan with my family and delay my education or start my education and be without my family. So she starts praying. That's a Pretty legitimate prayer, right? You would want Heavenly Father's help. And no answer came. And no answer came, and no answer came, and no answer came, and no answer came, and no answer came. Finally, she came to see me one day, and she just said, Brother Dunford, I guess I don't understand Revelation. And I smiled and said, that's correct, you don't. <laughs> what situation was she in? A light situation. Why was he not speaking? Because both situations, both scenarios were okay. It's fine. 
Your life will be just fine if you go to Japan for three years with your family. Your life will be fine if you stay here. What was Heavenly Father telling this sweet young lady? It's up to you. What do you want to do? I'm not going to make every decision of your life. You are more than capable and everything you do, the, the danger is low, so make a decision. But what situation did she want to be in? She wanted to be in an air situation where the Lord made it clear what the answer is. Do you see our frustration sometimes? Do you see the mistake we make with Revelation? The frustration of an air situation is what? What's the frustration of this situation? I don't want that. I don't understand that. Drill a hole in the bottom of my boat? Makes no sense. Transfer schools when I'm halfway through my education? No sense. But the danger's high. What's the frustration in this situation, in the light situation? Why aren't you talking to me? I wonder how many times the people in this room have asked God, why aren't you telling me what to do? I bet every one of us could raise our hand, couldn't we? Why aren't you telling me what to do? And the answer is probably what? What do you want to do? You are in a light situation and the danger is low and you are more than capable of making this decision. So decide. What was the rule we started with? Don't ask Heavenly Father to do for you what you can do for you. But understand that when you're the child crossing a busy street, he's going to hold that hand tightly. He loves you too much not to. Do you see how many times he taught those rules over and over and over again? Don't miss an opportunity to translate the gold plates because you thought you were in the wilderness and you were waiting for him to do it. Build a barge. Move. Move. Now, missions are kind of expected for priesthood holders, but they're not expected for sisters. And quite often sisters find themselves in that situation. There are some girls where the Lord has said, go on a mission and pressed and pressed firmly. You need to go on a mission. I don't want to. You need to go on a mission. I don't want to. You need to go on a mission. I really don't want to. Go on a mission. Okay. Oh. And there are other girls who say, Lord, should I go on a mission? Tell me if I should go on a mission. And he says, why won't you tell me that's an important thing? Why aren't you telling me whether I should go on a mission? I thought that was important to you. And he Because why? It's fine if you go. It's fine if you don't. You decide. Do not ask Heavenly Father to do for you what you can do for yourself. I bear you my testimony that He obeys these rules of revelation. 
sometimes we don't. And the frustrations of revelation often come down to misunderstanding and being in one situation and expecting the revelation of another. I testify he will speak to you when it's dangerous. He will speak clearly when it's dangerous. He will not when it's not. Have the confidence to step into the river, even if the water gets all the way up to your neck. Have the confidence to move forward, trusting that he'll be there. Now, after the brother of Jared decides to get the little stones, who touched them and made them glow? He wasn't completely abandoned, right? He'll be there. But don't ask him to make the decisions you should be making. Of those truths, I bear you my solemn testimony. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.